So glad each and every one of you are here. Let me welcome everybody joining us online. If you've got your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Acts, chapter 27. We're going to get there. We're going to move, uh, Lord willing, through the rest of 27 into 28. And 28 is the last chapter of Acts. Hard to believe we're going to get there. While you're turning there, let me introduce uh, myself. My, na- my name is Rich. For those are, of you who are new here at the church, welcome. Um, maybe you've never experienced anything like that before. Just relax. Um, you're like, what kind of church is this? We're the kind of church that worships the Lord with everything we got. We lift our hands because he's worthy. We lift our voice. You're like, man, but my voice isn't any good. Well, it sounds good to the Lord. He wants to hear it. And uh, so we sing it out, and we stop, and we pray, and we do that. And by the way, this isn't the only place that you can be ministered to throughout the week. God has made it uh, open, available all the time. We should be seeking him all the time, every day. Wake up. Early in the morning, I will rise and seek you, right? So we're going to go after that. And, man, we've been in this journey. And by the way, Spanish Night of Worship, you guys didn't seem too excited. You guys were talking about it. And I told you, even if you don't speak Spanish, come and say watermelon or something. I don't know what you guys do, but come and worship because we're going we're gonna to sing it out. It's going to be great. Make sure you're here and bring a whole bunch of people. Listen, in, in late 1735, there was a young man that was traveling to the United States. It was early, um, you know, it hadn't been the United States yet. He's traveling to the place, the continent that is the United States right now. He was really searching his heart, and how he would minister. His name was John Wesley. And while there were some people here and that he had been asked to come and minister in Savannah, Georgia, and so he got on a boat, and it wasn't the Royal Caribbean, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, hey, we're going to eat, you know, all day long and as many ice creams as you can eat, you know, soft serve ice creams. No, it wasn't that. He was on a, a ship, and it was hard, and it was a hard traveled road, and he was probably, I assume, set out with the, the passion and the zeal to come and be, be effective for the Lord, not just dynamic, but effective in ministry, and so as he traveled along, they hit a storm, 1735, in the middle of the ocean, they hit a storm, and he was shaken, and sometimes in the middle of the ocean, when the storms hit, you get a little shaky, and you get concerned, because It's the middle of the ocean, and there's a storm, and you're on a boat, and it doesn't feel as secure as land. He tells the story of how he was surrounded on that same boat by some German Moravians. Moravians are known for their prayer life. And what he noticed about them is that they seemed very calm in the middle of this storm. And he looked at them, and he's thinking, why are they calm, and I'm not calm? We're both ministers of the gospel. Something's not right with me. Well, they know as the story continues, they landed and they did their ministry. But uh, through his own testimony, he reckons that his time in Savannah, Georgia, wasn't very successful, wasn't um, everything that he hoped it would be. And so he had some reflection to do. And so he went back and had an experience in 1738 and in his own words, that a, an experience that changed everything for him. And he writes about it in his journal. And he said, in the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society on Aldersgate Street, where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely Warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ and in Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. 
Now, what I love about that story is that it didn't say there weren't any storms. It's just that God used that storm to touch a young minister's heart. And you would think that a minister's heart doesn't need to be touched. But let me tell you, I need a touch from the Lord every minute of every single day to continue what I'm doing. Now, we know that John Wesley went on to do some amazing, amazing uh, ministry. And so maybe today as we look at that and we can continue on our story, maybe we need to just check our attitude. We need to check our, our trust because as we talk about trust, if we're not careful, we, we minimize the word or we dilute the word because trust has a great spiritual component to it. It's not just talking about some guys like, hey, you can trust him. We say that in society, but the truth is we can't really trust anybody because people let you down every single time. We trust the Lord. That's why there's a, a divine component to it. It's not just reliability, although the Lord is reliable. It's not just a consistency, although he's totally consistent. It's more than that. And so as we talk about this today, we talk about trust, and we always do, I want to make sure that we understand no matter what happens, as we begin to unpack last week the story of Paul, he didn't want to go on the boat, right? But what he knew is that God is sovereign. And what I told you that I like to say last week is that God is in control. Say it to yourself. God is in control. One more time. God is in control. He's in control, church, and he is good, and yes, storms come, and you will be okay, and if you're not okay, it's still going to be okay. I don't want to just talk about using the storm or surviving the storm or thriving in the storm. I want to talk about how God uses that in an amazing way for you to trust him because he's always got it. As we marched through that story last week, we ended up in verse 33. If you can turn to that place, we're going to pick up. And see what happens, because they had just cut the lifeboat loose. It says in 32 that the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So let's pick up in 33 today. I've got a cruise. It says, as day was about to dawn. Now remember, this has been beating on them for two weeks, this storm. They're tired. They haven't eaten anything. They're worn out. They're frustrated. Probably totally seasick at this moment. Physically exhausted. Mentally exhausted. Totally spent. It says, as day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Now, most of us don't want to go 14 hours without food, certainly 14 days in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the storm. This is a challenging time, but Paul is telling them, you got to eat. And I told you last week, you got to eat, not necessarily food. We're not in danger of not eating too much. We are in danger of being spiritually malnourished because we haven't eaten the word of God. We haven't digested it because it's nourishment for your soul. 34 says, therefore, I urge you, take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Paul knew. Paul was settled. Now, these guys, they were learning to trust Paul because he had been accurate up until this point. It says in 35 that when he said these things, he took the bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Now, we like to refer moments like this inside of the church as the Lord's Supper or communion. And while I think it was a communion moment for Paul, I'm not sure it was for these pagan people who didn't really know Jesus. But that didn't stop Paul. What Paul did is he's saying, I'm giving you nourishment, but I love that he stops and he actually prays. And I don't think that he just shut his eyes and quietly prayed. You know what I mean? I'm speaking to some of you here because some of you go to the lunchroom and you're like praying under your breath with your eyes open because you don't want anybody to think you're weird. 
They already think you're weird. How many weirdos we got in the house? Anybody? That's what I'm talking about. See, you already know. They already think that. So let it fly, church. Let it, let it fly. This is what it says. It says he, he took the bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. I, I love that because it challenges the environment. Like I'm, a, I'm, like I'm a challenging person. My daughter tells me all the time, Dad, you have such a big personality. Don't come in here and embarrass me. I said, you know, can you just tone it down a little bit? Tone down what? You know, I'm here. Let's go. And, and, and I love that he just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that God is going to get the glory through this. He's going to get some thanks, right? He, I'm going to thank him because we're here right now. Right? Paul saying, thank you. I used to be a crazy sinner, the chief of all sinners, but you saved me. Uh, thank you so far. We're still 14 days into this storm. Nobody's been lost, so I want to thank you for this. Oh, and by the way, I'm persuaded that you're able to do what you said to finish the course for me, so I'm just going to go ahead and thank you in advance for what you're going to do. Can we just begin to thank God for the work that he's doing and that he's going to do? 36 says, then they were all encouraged. They ate some food themselves. Luke says in 37 that we were in all 276 persons in the ship. There's a lot of people on there. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. If you will remember, they had transitioned boats to a bigger boat so they could take this boat to Rome. It wasn't just a passenger boat, but it was a, a boat that took wheat Rome was known as the breadbasket of Italy and probably throughout Europe, so they would have taken a lot of wheat. But guess what? They don't even care about the wheat anymore because as I told you last week, when the storm's on and the ship seems like it's going to sink, you find out what really matters. You're hanging on to this thing when, when really the stuff that matters is about to be lost. You will, you will get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter. 39, now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. These are the things that steer the boat. They were in Christ. They were trying to survive. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. They wanted to just run it up on shore, and they were like, okay, it's okay if we're marooned here for a little bit. It's okay. We'll rebuild. We'll get some anchors. We'll put some coconuts together or something, but I just want to survive this thing. They got a plan to run ashore. That's not exactly what happened. It says they struck a reef, and they ran the vessel aground, and the bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. Part of the the boat is stuck. The other part is just getting smashed by the waves and just breaking apart. It's a, it's a tough situation here. The soldier's plan then switches, and they just say, we're going to kill all the prisoners because they were responsible. If you lose the prisoners at this time, if you were in charge of them, it's your life. What happened to the prisoner you were in charge? Oh, you lost him? Okay, we'll take your life then. You had one job, right? You had one job. So they said, we're just going to kill everybody lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He had ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Praise God. It's exactly what God said would happen. He said not, not one of you is going to die. He didn't say you weren't going to have to hang on to a piece of wood for a minute. <laughs> Some of the people were hanging on to a piece of wood. 
The older you get in life, you figure out some things. And one of the things that you figure out is very often you start out on one boat and you change boats. You know what I mean? Sometimes, like, you don't even get on a boat anymore. You're on, you're on, like, a little life raft and sometimes in a canoe or a kayak or sometimes you're just hanging on to a piece of wood, just going, I just got to make I just got to get there, and you're just hanging on. How many of you feel like you've been hanging on to a piece of wood? Anybody in the room just, like, for a decade or two or a month or a week? It's like, it's been rough. It's been rough, but you're still here. You're still here, and if you're still here, just like Paul, God has a plan to get you to your Rome so that you can testify to his goodness and to his mercy, right? Even Come on, you can give it up for that. God still has a plan for you. You still have blood in your veins. You're still here. You're still breathing. You might not arrive on the shore in the boat that you thought you were going to take there, but you're going to get there if God says so. And guess what? Also, by the way, some of you started out your path with some friends, Right? You know where I'm going. (laughs) Some of those friends that helped you get from A to C won't be with you from C to F or wherever. They get lost along the way. They drift off. That's that's not for you to worry about. You can share and you can care. You've got to keep your eyes on Christ and make sure that you're hanging on and keeping your focus on him. I love that they made it there and they were okay. Switch over to 28 real quick. Last chapter of Acts. It says, after we were brought safely through. I love that testimony. We then learned that the island was called Malta. Malta is a small island about 60 miles off of Sicily. Malta had good harbors because it's in the middle of the ocean. It was ideally located for trade. So it would have been a, a place that would have done a lot of shipping. The storm had carried them about two weeks, as we well know, and somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 miles from when they set sail. That's a long way to go and be beat up for two weeks. Verse 2 says, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Not only was the storm beating down on them, it was cold, it was the fall, it was late in the season, it was just a rough, rough period for them. But I, I love how it introduces these islanders here, or the native people, or the, the, this people that typically, probably, even though it was a trade, I mean, you, you come slamming into somewhere, people aren't always hospitable. They're not always like that, and always like, hey, let me, let me build you a fire, you know, they're still probably one, two, three, four unreached people groups on the earth. Maybe none, but there's probably a couple out there in the remote parts of the jungles that don't know. And if you show up on the scene, they're not going to go come on in. They're going to want to shoot at you. They're going to want to throw, throw something at you. That's just the way it is because we are, we are naturally like compassion isn't, isn't on us without Christ. There's none good. No, not one. It's just like, oh, they're just so good. There's No, you need the love of Jesus to come in and teach you these things. Now, these people didn't have it, but they didn't say, man, it's cold, it's raining, and these guys are drifting out from a shipwreck. We probably shouldn't kill them. So they welcomed them in. They were unusually, it says, unusually kind. Then Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, and a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. How many of you like snakes? Anybody? I know a couple of you like snakes in here. I don't know what's wrong with you people. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like, I grew up in Sunday school. The snake is the devil. 
You know, how many believe the snake is the devil? I don't know why. And check this out. Probably because I was studying this week. I had a dream last night. I was telling my friend Jordan over here this morning. We, I was out there. But we have some containers out there. They have some lawn equipment in there. And I, I was out there, and I was getting strangled by like a 30-foot python, and I couldn't do anything about it. Woke up in a cold sweat. I was like, see what happens? You're a liar, devil. <laughs> Rebuking in the middle of the night and saying the name of Jesus. It was crazy. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the heat, this, this viper comes out of it and, and it fastens on him. Oh, <laughs> just that right there, man. It like it fastened. It didn't just like strike him. It, it fastened on him. It took me back to camp one time. I was at church camp when I was a kid. And we're, this is in southern Missouri. And I didn't like snakes, so I was out of the circle. But these boys were circled up and they were kicking this little snake around. It wasn't even a big snake, but they were kicking around. Well, somebody went to kicking it. It hung on his shoe of course, it flew backwards in a giant field and landed on my shoulder. And I'm like, in all the places in the world, you know, <laughs> get off me. And it didn't hurt me or anything, but I still remember that. I'm haunted by that. You guys are laughing at my, my struggles. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Love you guys. <laughs> but, but Paul was not too concerned about it. In fact, it says that the people were concerned about it. But we'll see that Paul wasn't too concerned about the snake fastening himself to him. It says in verse 4, when the, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hands, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. This is just like people. Something bad happens to you, they're like, oh, you got what you deserve. They won't say that to your face, but that's what they're saying. He's a murderer. We call it instant. Karma. I don't believe in that, by the way. That's nonsense. If we got what we deserved, we'd all be dead. That's what we got. But we got the, the love of Jesus. We got the grace of Jesus. We got the mercy of Jesus. So we're still here in all of our mess. He's still working on us. But, man, these people, look at that. But it says in verse 5, he wasn't too concerned about it. What did he do? He shook it off. He shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Wow. Says that we're waiting for him to swell up. Everybody's looking. <laughs> or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was God. Just like people, <laughs> right? You're obviously a lying, cheating, thief, murderer. And then nothing happened. Oh, he must be a God. He's blessed, highly favored, right? This is why we don't listen to people. Paul wasn't going to get too excited either way. He didn't, he didn't say when they called him a murderer and that justice was raining down. And he didn't get all excited and said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I've been forgiven. I'm free. Jesus loves He didn't do that. He just continued on, shook off the snake. Then they said he's a God. Guess what? He didn't get too excited about that either. I, I, I think he probably flashed back to Acts chapter 14 in Lystra when they said a man was lame from birth. And, and Paul prayed over him and touched him. And they said, you must be a God. He's like, I'm not a God. I serve God. But here's why. Here's why this is important, because he remembered a couple of things. One, he remembered whose he was and who he was. If you remember these things, it will, it will, it will help you so much, right? If you remember, that, like, I'm not a God, 
right? I serve God, but I'm not a God. I was a sinner. I'm not that sinner anymore. My life has changed, been transformed by the renewing of my mind. My direction has pivoted, right? I was on a path of destruction. Now I'm on a path of life. It's a narrow path, by the way. And you get on there, and it, you got to get rid of some stuff on there. But also, I remember whose I am, that he's got me. And I don't care if a viper latches onto my hand or to my leg or to my neck. If God said, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to Rome. So I'm not going to get too excited about it. The storm was trying to take him out. The people were trying to take him out. All these people along the way on his journey were trying to take him out. They couldn't take him out. He's still here. He's still ministering. And I know, I know, I know that people like to criticize. We're, we're the worst at it in America. We love to build people up, don't we? We build them up, man. We'll, we'll start following. They have one funny video, and they're sharing it, and people following them, and they just become super famous, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when they fall, we love their crash. We'll put them on the tabloids. We'll put them on TMZ. We'll laugh at them. We'll make fun of them. And then when they try to journey back, we'll get on the path again. It's like Martha Stewart, you know what I mean? She's like this lady just makes cookies, and everybody follows her. Then she steals from the government. They throw her in jail, and we're like, down with Martha Stewart, and she comes back, and we're like, yeah, buy some more cookies. And it's just, it's like, P, what's wrong with people? You want to be a leader? Put your trust in God. Don't listen to people. They're going to say this. They're going to say that. They're fickle. The crowds are fickle, but your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. You are a child of God. He has a plan for you, a purpose for you. It says, now in the neighborhood of that place where lands belonged to the chief of a, of, of a man of the island named Publius, who received and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And for some of you, that's a real challenge. For me, that's not a challenge at all. That's why we come up here. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you and put my hands on you sometimes. I'm going to be careful how I do that. I'm not going to grab your neck or shake your head. I don't think I have to do that. It's God's mercy. But I do believe in the laying on of hands. Scripture says it. We believe it. We're going to do it. So maybe that's weird for you, but it doesn't need to be. It says when he, this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had the disease also came and were cured. I think it's pretty interesting that Paul gets bit by a snake and that's what's used as the introduction to like there's something special about this guy. They don't know. They're just like, he's a God. He's like, I'm not a God, but I serve God and so let me pray for you. Watch what happens. It might be your craziness. It might be a, a snake bite that causes somebody to be introduced to your faith in the Almighty. Well, nobody was, I'm certainly not going to want to sign up to get bit by a snake. But if it will help somebody, what if we could have a fresh perspective, an attitudinal adjustment in our lives that causes us to see the, the, the trials and the tribulations and the circumstances are all for God's glory. Paul understood that about his life. He understood it. It says in, in verse 10, they also honored us greatly when we were about to sail and they put on board whatever we needed they honor Luke writes here they honored us 
These people that weren't usually kind all of a sudden become kind and welcome us in and start the fire and warm us up and feed us and take care of us. Now they're loading our boat for us. They're, they're helping us on to the next part of the journey. These are, this wasn't the usual. It said it was unusual. So now this is what happens because, you know, you get to this point sometimes, you're like, I just, I'm like, I don't know. And the truth is we don't know. If, if you think you know every, everything, everywhere, then you're certainly set up for major disappointment. This journey is a ride. I told you last week, and I want, I want to refocus on this this morning. If you're not careful, you're going to think this story is all about Paul and his crazy journey, his ups and downs, the fact that he was able to testify and all of this. It's always been about God's goodness. That's the story. It's the word. It's the gospel. That's why it's not your words that change people, but it's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. So what do we do? We testify. We testify to the goodness of God. He's so good. You start, you start talking about it like with the most ridiculous passion, like you don't understand. Like Jesus, Jesus loves me. Like he loves me. I don't know, you, you can't convince me otherwise. Yeah, but look at like Job's friends, those scoundrels, right? You can't tell me. I don't care what I'm going. You can't tell me again because I'm, I'm persuaded. And we, and we look at this and even though the ups and downs of Paul's life, but people were changed. The gospel was proclaimed. This is why I told you a few weeks ago that Paul was able to write in Philippians that everything that has happened to me has served for the advancement of the gospel. Resolved, focused, dedicated, on mission, everything. Snake bites, yep. Storms, yep. Beatings, yep. Lying about you, slandering about you, cheating on yep. Everything, if you will do it well, will serve for the advancement of the gospel. Everything. And if you will just settle in, you're going to understand that your life, you have all this opportunity to shine for him. I'm not talking about just the ladies of it. I'm talking about your life. That you are meant to shine. And it seems like it's increasingly dark, but if you're there to shine, it can't be dark. Stand with me real quick. I'm not done. I want to I wanna share something with you real quick. Got to finish this up. Don't raise your hand if you don't really believe this. But if you really believe this, I want you to raise your hand. How many believe that God is faithful? Anybody? Yeah. Hold on. Look around. Hold them up. Look at this. That's how it's supposed to be, church. He's faithful. You can put your hands up. He's faithful. God is faithful. Yeah, but I'm in it. He's faithful. I don't know. The doctors. He's faithful. I don't have any money. He's faithful. My, my kids. He's faithful. He's faithful, church. He's faithful. Listen to this. I got to read this. I got to read this. This is an old hymn. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou will forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. 
Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun and moon and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. He's faithful, church. He's faithful, church. Would you bow your heads with me? God, you're faithful. Sometimes we let the, the loud things in life distract us, but you're faithful. Sometimes we let the, the voice of humanity ring in our ears, but you're faithful. We let our circumstances dictate our attitude, but you're faithful. It's not by accident that we're in this room today. Lord, you knew from all of eternity who would be in this room right now. Just as you know the path of the leaves that fall in October, you know our path and where we're going to land and the trajectory of every moment and every movement. And you love us and you care for us and you're faithful. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Remarkable how good you are to us. Let's pray this prayer together, church. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth that you are my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now be the Lord of my life. Save me from myself. Holy Spirit, guide me, direct me, convict me, fill me, and use me for your glory. Father, we love you so much, and, and I'm thankful for everybody in this room, and I pray that you would bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine upon them, that you would turn your face to them and you would grant them peace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can we put our hands together for the word? Praise God. Praise God. Real quick, before you leave today, um, it's going to be amazing. Listen, if nobody told you this week, I love you. You're like, it's my first time here. I don't care. I love you. Like, we love you. We're, this church is full of love. It's not perfect, but we're full of love. We got God's love in us, and so we send it out. So if nobody told you that this week, you remember this week when you start feeling lonely and sad. One, you're not alone. God's with you. And then two, your pastor loves you, right? God bless you guys. We always pray our benediction here. Let's pray it together. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you guys.